All right, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Talking Christianity Apologetics. My name is Josh Gibbs, and tonight we have got Jonathan Williams on with us um, from Word of God Speak Ministries, and we're going to be talking about uh, the church, the ordinances of the church, and uh, just really want probably one of the most important topics altogether uh, when it comes to the gospel. So stay with us. Make sure today that you leave this place knowing that you are saved to the glory of God. Thanks. That one I'm going to choose. If you believe that, friends, you don't know the gospel. Is that the wonder of the cross is that no one gets injustice. If you, if you end up under the wrath of God, it is because you've rejected his provision for you and you are justly punished for your sin. To what the scriptures teach. I think the Bible does teach that God desires the salvation of all men. He has provided uh, for uh, the, the salvation of all men. And therefore, anyone who, who ends up under the wrath of God, it is because they have rejected his provision for them. And they are justly punished for their sins. The question my... that seeks to provide an answer to this question, for whose sins did Jesus die? The extent of the atonement asks the question, for whose sins did Jesus die? There are only two answers, two possible answers to that question. Either Jesus died for the sins of some people, or Jesus died for the sins of all people. Okay, welcome once again to Talking Christianity Apologetics. We are excited to have you with us for those of you who are viewing live. And uh, for those of you who are going to tune in later, Thank you for tuning in. Please feel free to hit the subscribe button. You can rate us and uh, like it, share it with your friends, uh, all of that good stuff. But also, um, for those of you who are viewing live, you will have a chance to interact with us if you would like to. Um, try to save your questions towards the end. I know that we've got a couple of different people who have already said they've been looking forward to this particular episode and uh, um, may try to hold off on um, getting involved with the comments too soon. But anyways, Ron, if you're watching, I'm looking forward to your interaction. If we get to the point or the topic that uh, you and I had talked about in reference to this particular episode. So um, anyways, guys, welcome again. And let's go ahead and introduce our guest for tonight. I've, I've got to say, you guys don't know the backstory to this. Um, <laughs> but it's been, I can't, it's just been a really difficult time trying to uh, actually make this particular episode happen, not for any other reason than me. Um, Mr. D should I call you Jonathan, Mr. Williams, Dr. Williams? I don't, what do I call you? Jonathan is fine. Jonathan. So for those of you guys are hearing this for the first time, we have re rescheduled this particular episode four different times. I've never done that. We were just talking about that before we went live here. And uh, it's just kind of crazy how it's worked out. We've had just different family stuff, kids being sick. My wife has been sick. And um, my son went to the ER. We had a family emergency with just some different things that have gone on. And, and every time Jonathan is like, you know what? We're going to make it happen. We're going to schedule this thing. You do what you need to do. And uh, don't worry about the timing. So this is take four. And thank you again. Um, for being so patient and, and making this happen. I really appreciate you coming on tonight. You're welcome. Glad to be with you. Well, let's do a brief introduction. I want to I want to let our audience know a little bit about who you are, what you do, and uh, why this particular conversation is so important to you. Um, so now, Jonathan, 
is the founder and president of Word of God Speak, which focuses on the truth of God's Word to advance life change, build a biblical worldview, and connect people to God's story. He was a teacher and pastor for 35 years with Great Commission Churches, where he also served on the National Leadership Council and the Doctrinal Ministry Committee. When he launched Word of God Speak, he, he began focusing on bringing the overarching narrative of Scripture to the world in a storytelling program, uh, the, the Stories of the Master, and with his video, The Renewal of All Things, is what that one is called. Now, with Stories of the Master, um, Jonathan, he takes the role on of the storyteller, dramatizing the story of Christ and the stories he told for the audience around the world. He brings in cultural and historical details, which Westerners often missed, uh, but details which make the stories come alive. The 80 stories, they trace the life of Christ from his birth to the death and resurrection and enthronement at the right hand of God. All of these things, they're, they're, from what I understand, they're being translated into numerous different languages around the world. And uh, there's just, there's so much that you're doing there within, uh, where it's been translated and heard in Albania, Kosovo, and Nepal and their native languages. But you're also a teacher and an author of several books, um, including The Women Jesus Loved, The Mystery of Mary Magdalene, and the Changing, and Changing the Stories of the World. Now, are you are you still working on the book, um, the Sovereign Story, or is that finished? How's that How's that coming? I wish it were finished. Um, I put it on yeah. hold, and the reason I put it on hold is I decided to pursue uh, my PhD in Biblical Studies with okay. Trinity Seminary, and so I figured I could earn a degree while I was studying for the writing of that book. I see. Wow. Okay, so that can be pretty tough to get a PhD and write a book at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, you know what? I I don't know why you can't just do all of that. I mean, it's I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I don't know either. And I told the Lord, why can't I do everything and have everything? And He keeps reminding me that that's not His will. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay, so this is kind of cool. Um, you went to Calvary Bible College, which is in Kansas City. And right. I live in a in a suburb, Lee Summit, which is just outside of of Kansas City. But um, so, uh, what kind of it, what was that experience like? Well, uh, so that was a long time ago. That was back in 1972, 1973. Okay. And um, so while I was there, going to school, I was uh, learning a lot, and but but um, I was I was really hungry for more. I was hungry for more than just theological education, although that is very important. Obviously, I'm working on a PhD right now. Yeah. But I, I was really hungry for an experience of the church where people were not just learning the Bible, but where they were really living it and seeking to make a difference in the world. So I got involved in a local church there. I eventually stopped going to Calvary. I went for a year and a half and uh, became involved in a local church in Kansas City. And became one of the pastors of the church, and then I started going to the University of Missouri in Kansas City, studying ancient history. So it was a good beginning for me. Yeah. Well, um, I actually, my, so my aunt and uncle um, were missionaries to Papua New Guinea, and they yeah. went. They, I don't remember what it. I, I knew that we. I remember as a kid we would go up there and visit them, but we would also. Um, they had so, some softball fields up at Calvary that we would. My parents played at, but. 
Anyways, yeah. that's not really related, but I want to uh, also let the audience know kind of how you and I got connected. Um, I'm not published on academia, but I'm on academia and access a lot of the different writings and and uh, articles and, and just some of the different, a lot of the different material that is on there I use for my personal study. Um, and I that's kind of how I came across some of the stuff that you would put out specifically related to the gospel and uh, the, the different kingdom messages. And so right. I had reached out to you because I was, I was doing a debate with a hyper-dispensationalist who, if you don't know what a hyper-dispensationalist is, you can go back to some of our previous videos and, and kind of research that. But um, essentially, I was, I was preparing for that and had written to you uh, in a direct message and said, hey, uh, I really appreciate this information that you're putting out there. It's helpful helpful for me in, in kind of preparation for this debate. But but you even took it a step further and said, hey, I wrote a book on this. Let me send it to you. And uh, I really appreciate you sending that to me. So, Good. I'm glad it, glad it was a blessing to you. Um, so, okay, let's... Uh, if anybody wants to access your material, they can go to wgsministries.org. There's videos, a blog, there's books, there's a whole lot more, so go check that out. But I would also um, um, recommend anyone who is, is watching and listening to this podcast to go check out your podcast, which is the Word of God Speak podcast. Is that right? That is correct, yes. So how long have you been doing that, and what exactly do you do on your podcast? Well, so... Um... So we, we launched uh, Word of God Speak in 2012. Okay. And I initially I was the uh, the Bible teacher for the radio program called the Heaven and Home Hour. The Heaven and Home Hour was the first regular Bible teaching program in the United States. Really? It began in 1933. Wow. And, and I was hired to be the fourth teacher, and but. It, it it didn't survive. Actually, it, it still continues, but it didn't survive on regular radio in the United States. It was too far gone. Yeah. Uh, it needed to be updated about 15 years previous. And so they thought by bringing in a new teacher that that would help, hmm. uh, but it, it didn't help. And so um, so we decided to put everything online. We, we still have the Heaven Home Hour online. And, we have, uh, and then I started a new program called Word of God Speak. Uh, which is the teaching program, which replaces the Heaven and Home Hour. And that's heard on transworldradio360.org. That's, uh, that's the best way for, uh, for people to hear it. And then we have the other program called Stories of the Master. So it's heard on, on TWR360.org. We also have our own website called WGSRadio.com. And we even have a phone number that people can call and listen to it and and. Uh, I'll give them a, a generic greeting, and then if you want to listen to the Heaven and Home Hour, you press one. If you want to listen to Stories of the Master, press two, and listen to a Word of God Speak, press three. And there's a new program uh, every day for it, and that's the uh, the easiest way to listen to our teaching and to our stories. No way, I have never heard of anything like. So you can call in, and and that'll and 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 pick which one you want by hitting that number, and then you can listen to it. That's correct. I'd be happy to get the phone number if, at some point if you like, but I don't have it memorized. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll, let's uh, get it. Yeah, let me uh, just give me a, a second here. It, it seems kind of silly that I don't have it, but I never call it up. Other people do. I don't. <laughs> so uh, the, the phone number is 
1-800-273-9301. Give that a call, and um, there's a new uh, teaching every day and a new story every day. Awesome. So um, let me make sure I got that number right. 605-472-9301. That's correct. Perfect. Well, let's go ahead and jump into what we're going to talk about tonight, and uh, we'll just get rolling. So, um, Okay. Now, it's good. I think the... Uh, the first, oh, I wanted to, kind of this first subject is, is kind of a big deal. We're talking about the church, we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the different ordinances of the church. Um, and, and obviously the gospel is, is kind of the center of what the whole story um, about the Bible is because it's centered around Jesus Christ and what he's doing for humanity. Um, but <laughs> that's, to me kind of the, the the whole purpose of me wanting to do this podcast because I, I see um, kind of where that is is a passion and in, in what you're doing in your ministry but can you kind of speak to that in, a, in and of itself for why why the gospel is so important to get right well the gospel is the hope of the world the gospel is the hope of eternal life our eternal destiny depends on it so if we don't get that right then we could be in very deep trouble <laughs> uh, for eternity and in addition but it's not just for eternity it is the life-changing message paul said I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And as, as you know, uh, and as our listeners know, salvation is not just something for the future. Salvation is for now. And so if the gospel is the power of God for salvation, then we have to get it right if we want to experience that salvation and to live in the freedom that Christ calls us to. Amen. That's, hey, that's important. Yeah, I'd say that's important. That's a, gosh, that's a good way to put it. So let's, uh, the, the first thing, so we, we've briefly touched on the gospel, but I want to start with um, kind of the church itself. This, this particular question can go a lot of different directions. Right. And uh, so why don't we talk about the church itself and the identity of the church. When we say that the church, and we're trying to identify when the church actually began, um, why don't we start with a definition of what we mean by the church, and then we can get into um, when, when the beginning of the church would have actually started. So okay. how would you define the church? Well, let's, let's just look at the Greek word. As, as you know, the Greek word, ekklesia, and it uh, just means the called out ones. And so it's God's people who have been called out from the world, those who are in a covenant relationship with him. It was, very, it was more of a, a, a generic uh, word. It was even used in secular um, environments in the ancient world. I believe the Greeks used it for, a, for political gatherings, the, the assembly, the ones who were, who were called out from everyday life to gather together to uh, make decisions on certain political uh, decisions that needed to be made for their community. So it was a very, it was a very generic term and, and there was nothing that technical about it. But then it became, came to be used spiritually 
uh, biblically for those who have been called out by God for his purposes in the world. Okay. Um, so I would agree with that 100%. I think... Uh, um, I'm glad. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can take it a, another, a step further. And uh, we, you, you see some people who would, who would say, well, you've got a visible church, you've got an invisible church. And, uh, and some would even say, well, you know, there's, there's, not, there's not a distinction between the invisible or the visible. And, and then if you do make a distinction, you've got real problems with what the invisible church is because it's made up of, of visible people. But that can get kind of confusing. Um, but when we're, when we're talking about the church, you're not just talking about a building. Um, and, and you're not just talking about a local body, but how would you, how would you relate that when it, when it's, as it's related to a building or as, and, and as it's related to people and local bodies, all of that, how does that all kind of work itself out? Let me add one other thing. It's, it's not also to be equated with Christendom and what we have experienced throughout history as Christendom, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So what do you mean when you say Christendom? Well, I'm, I'm talking about uh, culture that has been greatly influenced by the gospel and by the church so that um, the world itself begins to take on many characteristics of the church and begins to uh, exemplify the values of the church. And that should be a good thing, and it has been a good thing in many ways throughout history. Uh, but... It, it also had some bad, when people had power, when Christians yeah. had power and they used power in the wrong way, then it took on a very bad flavor and a very bad taste for, for many people. So what does the church mean as, as regards a, a local body? You know, I, I think what's just, um, just so important is that... Um, God calls us into meaningful relationships with others. Yeah. And we can only have so many meaningful relationships with so many people. And all of us need to be connected to and involved in a local expression of the larger body of Christ. And so there's these smaller expressions of the body of Christ. And we need to be connected with others and be living out the values of the kingdom of God. You know, we can talk about we can talk about the human race as as a family, you know, the the human family. Yeah. And that's not inaccurate to, to use that terminology. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's very difficult for me to um, meaningfully engage with people who live in Papua New Guinea yeah. or Siberia or an island in the Indian Ocean. We're all part of the same human family. But uh, I do a lot better when I relate to my personal biological family and to my local church family and really believe God calls us to experience that. I think that's sort of what you were talking about, weren't you? Yeah, it is. And so how would you... Help, how, help direct me if I if I get off track. Or, you know. No, you're good. I mean, I think that um, our our conversation is flowing really good I, it, as far as... Um, yeah, I, I think this is, this is a good distinction to make when we're looking at the invisible versus the visible church. Um, kind of what would your take be on that um is is the is the church <clears throat> is the church invisible or um is it visible or it, are there any conflicts within the definition of how some people want to identify um what the church is because so often 
you see it as as it's not the church is not um some people would draw the distinction that the church is not simply a magisterium but that it's made up of believing people and the gospel of Jesus Christ I'm kind of muddy in this a little bit but um the church there'd be a distinction between the magisterium and the body of believers so kind of how would you how would you direct that conversation when it comes to a visible versus invisible church and a magisterium versus believers there's kind of four different categories I there i i don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing but i haven't thought about the visible versus the invisible church in decades <laughs> So would you refresh me on why that's even important to some people? Uh, I don't, you know what? I, I think that it would have to be just <laughs> for someone who might actually get it confused that the church is a building and uh, just to draw a distinction that the, the church, yeah, there, it can be a, a, a building, but it's not, that's, that's the literal physical church. But when we talk about the invisible church that's where you're drawing the distinction that it's not the actual building it's the people in the building that makes up yes. the church so that's where i would i would say you know what there is there is a distinction there that um when we talk about the church with a capital c um it's 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 made up of all believers it's not just yes. um, the clergy it's not just a magisterium it's it's literally it's the the believing people who make up what what we would call the body of Christ. So I don't know if if, if you would want to take that and run with that at all. Well, well, it is it is uh, you know I do believe in the church with a capital C and a church with a lowercase C, and sometimes in my writing I will use both. I see. And so I am connected. I am vitally connected to God's people around the world and how many hundreds of millions of believers are there uh, today uh, and so so that is the church the the body of Christ around the world from many 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 different denominations many expressions of the body of Christ some that I, I might not even be all that comfortable with but but they are Brothers and sisters in the Lord. I, I have no yeah. doubt about that. Um, church with a lowercase c is uh, lowercase c. It would be those of the, of the local expression. My local church family, I go to a church yeah. uh, four blocks down the road. And those are the people that I am connected with, I pray with, I'm accountable to, I worship with. And so... Um, we're, we're part of we're part of both of it, and not just not just the church with a capital C of those who are alive today, but those who are in the presence of the Lord right now, yeah. the many clouded witnesses. Ooh, that's good. And so we are part of the body of Christ. I don't know. Is that what you meant by the invisible church? I haven't thought about it in a long time. Those who are gone. Yeah, I think so. You know what? I just uh, you you kind of hear those those terms. Um, being thrown around with the invisible versus the visible, the big C, the little C, those kinds of things that you can look in and see and draw distinctions and uh, kind of open the conversation up a little bit. But I, I think it, it it can be pretty easy to make it a little bit confusing and just kind of stick to the basics. Like, you know what? The, the church is made up of a body of believers all around yes. the world, and it's as simple as that. But And, and, and Joshua, let me ask you, yeah. in your conversations about this with people, do people ever get into debates about that? 
uh, yeah, believe it or not. And, and if so, what's the debate? What's the issue? What's what's the point of it? What's the big deal of it? Uh, educate yeah. me on this. Yeah. Um, I, I so I, I think in particular when when we're trying to draw uh, distinctions on on what what the church is and and uh, whether or not it whether or not you can be a part of that church um, as the body of Christ is going to depend on what denomination you are. Um, and, and so I, I think there's, there's obviously going to be a lot of debate there on the theological side of the conversation, um, especially as it relates to justification, for instance. Um, yes. I'm, I'm getting ready to schedule uh, a debate that we're, we're pushing it out toward, till after the first of the year. Um, but this, this whole conversation started, this whole debate started with a guy who's probably tuning in right now, who's, who I, I would consider a friend of mine, even though we've never met. We have a lot of dialogue, a lot of discussion online, um, and he's a Catholic who had converted from being a Protestant to a Catholic, and uh, as you would, would may well know in, in Vatican II, it's, it's pretty clear that um, Vatican II um, anathematizes anyone who is not a part of the Catholic Church because there's no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. So for me, there is there is debate about this particular conversation um, yeah, just simply because of the definition of who is and who isn't in the body of Christ based off of who is and who isn't in this particular denomination. But Do you find with Roman Catholics that they are living by the letter of the law of Vatican II? Uh, I'm sure some are. I I've, I don't know the answer to that, man. Like, see, this is where I'm. I just and when we talk about the doctrine of justification, I mean, you you look at you look at the catechisms of the Catholic Church and and how it deals with the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification, and um, it and just there's a lot of disturbing things in there, but on yes. the practical side, I've got I know so many Catholics. That I'm that, I mean they're, I love them. I love I I cannot draw the distinction and say, from a judgment call on my end to say you know what this person is or this person isn't saved just on the basis of them being a Catholic. And I know so many people want to do that. I can't bring myself there. I, I I'm just that's me personally. Um, for me personally, sure. I think that I I I I I'm trying to figure out how God is looking at it because I know God is looking at the heart. And some people can be confused on what the outward expression of that uh, looks like. Um, but I, I don't know yeah. that many Catholics that live by the letter of the law of the catechisms that aren't, you know, apologists or priests or that kind of thing. So what's your take on that? Well, I, I, I'm, I, I think you and I are kindred spirits in that. Uh, I've had uh, Roman Catholic friends through, through the years and... You know, you can just kind of tell when with some people it's nominal, they don't really know the Lord, and with some, they just really do love the Lord. And I remember reading something years ago by a theologian who said that we're very quick to forgive sins of the flesh, but we're not quick to forgive sins of the mind. And sometimes we are... um, uh, 
sometimes we just be very judgmental toward people who have different perspectives, and that's just they they may be confused at the at the moment, but they may not be confused a few years from now. Right. And we have to be patient. We have to pray for them, and and help them along as as best we can. Another thing, uh, Joshua, is that um, we have to remember that. Uh, let's take First Corinthians. How long had the church been in existence when Paul wrote that letter? Was it three years, four years, something like that? I I forget the exact chronology. Um, well, it depends uh, on which trip and which letter. Because I I mean, there's there's the the, the whole first letter of First Corinthians is written in in basically kind of a rebuke. Like, here's all the things you guys are doing wrong to a certain yeah. extent. But then in Second Corinthians, he comes back and it's like, hey, you know what? We've We've picked up where we left off, and here's here's where we go from here, and what we're doing right. But um, yeah, here's here's my point on that. When you, when we get to chapter fifteen, Paul says, "Now, brethren, I make known to you the gospel." Yeah, right, right, right. Now, now, now think about that just for a moment. That's a good point. Yeah, why didn't know, he start with like, that? Didn't they know the gospel already, Paul? <laughs> and why did you wait? 14 chapters and finally get to it in chapter 15. Why are you making it known uh, now yeah. so late in your book and after years that you, on the church that you started? Yeah. And and so so here we have a group of people in a church that the Apostle Paul, the champion of justification by grace through faith, started, and he's still having to explain the gospel yeah. years later. That's I, and so uh, I, I think we we really need to uh, be patient and to have good discussions and, and learn from each other in it. Yeah, we'll always stand for the truth of, of justification. Yeah, well, and I, and th- you know what, there really are some things that that are big differences. I think that um, need to be drawn out and discussed. Um, yes, it, and and those are conversations that need to be had. Um, but when we're talking about the church, I, I think that there is a universal <clears throat> definition of what the church is. And if you want to call it, so many of the early church fathers made reference to that and the use of the term Catholic um, because it's universal. Um, it's, it's universal for all everyone who believes. But then, then you get into some of the nuanced um, doctrines of, of what makes you a Christian, whether it's baptismal regeneration, whether it's um, the process of justification, then you get into all the different sacraments, which is uh, part of the conversation that we're going to have tonight with um, what what we would call the ordinances of the church. Uh, but we'll save that for, for later. Before we okay. move on to the next point, though, is there anything that you wanted to kind of say there? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. Uh, we, we can move on. All right. Let's talk about when the church actually started. When would you... There, there's so many differences on this, and this is this is one of the big reasons why I really appreciate <clears throat> what uh, what you've written on the subject of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of yeah. heaven, and, um, and just so much of the information that you put out about the gospel, the church, and, and 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 the ministry that you do with your podcast, all of that stuff. That's so it's so practical, and I appreciate it because um, when it comes down to the start of the church, there's such a huge debate about it. And uh, I'm a dispensationalist. I would consider myself <clears throat> a classic dispensationalist, um, but I I believe in progressive revelation. So. Um, there's kind of a distinction there that you can't call yourself a progressive dispensationalist because there's still some nuances even in that. 
Um, but a classic True. dispensationalist puts the start of the church um, in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came down. But I would even say that the church was being formulated from the point of the cross. Um, and, and the reason I would say that is because um, in Hebrews it talks about uh, a, a, a testament ending at the death of the testator. So I would say that would have to be the hard point when the Old Testament ended, when the, the, the testator, Jesus Christ, had actually died. But um, I, I'm, I know I'm saying a lot, but this is going to get into the dispensationalist camp, which I would fall into and why I had kind of reached out to you when it comes to placing the start of the church. Um, because then you've got some people who would put the start of the church in either Acts 9 or Acts 15, uh, whenever, whenever you've got the, the Jerusalem Council. Um, or when Paul got saved. But then you've got some people who even put it in at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts 28, and then it just gets really complicated and blows the whole thing out of the water on when the church actually started. And then you can mm -hmm. you can take the conversation and go from there into some different areas, which I'm, I'm hoping and thinking that we will. But how would you take that, Jonathan, um, when it comes to the conversation of the start of the church according to the Bible? Well... You have started with Acts 2, and then you went to Acts, possibly of Acts 9 or Acts 15 or the end of the book of Acts. What you have not taken into consideration is the other direction, uh, that maybe the church started in Genesis 12. Well, and, and I see that in some— Or some, Genesis 1. <laughs> and some people say there's seven, seven different churches or called-out ones— um, throughout the Bible, and Adam and Eve would have been the first church, then you've got Noah and his family, and then you've got uh, Moses and the patriarchs, and then and then you've got uh, all, and, and you go from there, but um, yeah. where would you put that? Well, let me, let me, um, let me try to explain it from a different perspective. I, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> okay, you've seen my notes. <laughs> so, uh, those who might be watching right now or who will watch, they don't have the they don't have this in front of them. But I, I'm just going to go with some of the things that I've written. OK. And and please feel free at any time to uh, to ask me a question, to interrupt me. So what we need to understand is God's plan from the beginning, from the beginning of creation. And it was for one people, one community. When he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply um, as one friend said, he was not telling them to plant apple trees and do math. He was telling them to have kids. Right. <laughs> and so, so, so he envisioned a world filled with people who would praise him and live in justice with equity and with love towards all others. Now, we know that that did not happen because of their sin and because of, of our sin. So we fast forward to Abraham. And we see the same emphasis with Abraham. God establishes a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants that all the families of the earth would be blessed. And so through this man, Abraham, and through his descendants, God says, I'm after the whole world. I want to bring the whole world back to me in one family. And so he did not choose Abraham's family. He did not choose Israel only so that he might bless Israel for the sake of Israel, but he chose Abraham and his descendants as the means 
by which he would get his original plan for the world back on track. And that was the whole purpose of Israel. And so in the time before Christ, we see God narrowing his work with Israel, his covenant people, but the goal was always to bring the nations into the covenant people. It's kind of like when Jesus was, was with the disciples. We see him at times working with the multitudes, and then we see him at times working with the twelve. Well, when he was very narrow working with the twelve, or even with the three or four, uh, Peter, Andrew, and James, and John, it doesn't mean he was not interested in the other eight or the seventy or the multitudes, but he was narrowing his focus in light of his great plan. And I don't think anybody will argue with that. That's just a a strategy uh, that that he had, and, and that's a strategy we have in local churches and discipleship, that sometimes we cannot minister to everyone. Yeah. We yeah. minister with a few for the sake of everyone. Yeah. And, and that's what God was doing with Israel. God was narrowing his focus, not because he is exalting one over the other or or because he is disinterested in the other. He's very interested in the whole world, but he's focusing on one nation for the sake of the whole world. And we see prophecy after prophecy. We, we see this in Isaiah um, very prominently, Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 and 6 where he said it's too, uh, speaking of the servant of the Lord, he said, it's too small a thing for you to bring back Jacob to me, but I will use you as a light to the nations. I'm going to use you to bless all the nations of the world. But as we know, the problem is that Israel apostatized. Israel was God's means to, re God's means to restore his plan for the whole world, for this worldwide family, to bring salvation to the world, but but what happened is that Israel itself needed to be saved. And so the prophets talked of the coming salvation for Israel as well as the coming salvation for the nations. But first, salvation had to come to Israel because Israel was God's appointed means for everyone. Yeah. Um, so when Jesus gave the Great Commission after his resurrection, he had the apostles start in Jerusalem and they go to Judea. And that's why when Paul went on his journeys, he went to the synagogues first yeah. because the gospel had to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And so after the Jews, after so it seems like every synagogue he went to was split. Some believed and some did not believe. Mm -hmm. And after the split took place, he gathered the believers in to, to the family and then he says, now I'm going to the Gentiles. Israel has been saved in this locality, and now we're going to bring the Gentiles in to the family of God. So now let me get to Pentecost here. Okay. What about Pentecost? The coming of the Holy Spirit was a Jewish promise for the people of Israel, which is why Peter said in Acts 2.39, the promise and he's speaking to Jews. The promise is for you and your children. The coming of the Spirit, which is how John the Baptist began his ministry. That's what he talked about. One is coming who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. 
And with that promise, this, with the promise that he gave that the Spirit was coming, that was part of the restoration of the nation of Israel. That was part of the salvation of Israel. So this is what is happening in, at Pentecost. God is not starting something brand new that was not seen in the Old Testament. God is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament, which is why Peter says in Acts chapter 2, this is what Joel said. This is that. What he talked about at that time for Israel is now happening for Israel. Um, and so Israel is now receiving the promise of the Holy Spirit as foretold by Joel and Israel. And so when we start, a, when we talk about the start of the church, we have to, I'm going to make up a word here, we have to de-technicalize the word church because there is continuity with the people of God, with, with the covenant people of God, and now God is bringing the blessing of the Holy Spirit as he promised to his covenant people, but not to all of them, only to some of them, only to those who believe in Jesus as Messiah. And they are Israel. They are the remnant. Okay. I'll stop right now. So um, you and I are going to, we've got a lot of differences there. And I think, um, so there's a couple of things. There's a, there's a couple of things that I, I can, I can pretty much point my finger on. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Are you a partial preterist? Yeah. Everyone is a partial preterist. You're a partial preterist. (laughs) Are you a full preterist? No. Okay. (laughs) I'm not. Um, so, and I laugh when I say everyone is a partial preterist because in Luke 21, when, uh, when, uh, Luke was, um, on the Olivet discourse, he talked very clearly about events that took place in AD 70. Right. But that, would you say that's the same events that was, that was prophesied in Matthew 24 and 25? Was, it's the same circumstance. Jesus is talking at this, you know, it's in the life of Christ, it's the same speech Luke 21 and Matthew 24 is the same but speech more, the same time so, okay so we would uh, we would have some differences there because I I think there's there's some details in Matthew 24 and 25 that that is not in Luke 21 correct um, but that, uh, correct all, all, all I'm saying is that everyone's at least a partial preterist because you got to see Luke 21 has some AD 70 stuff in it so okay. that's just a little a little um, humorous thing but you are not a dispensationalist I, I'm not a classic dispensationalist. That's <laughs> See, I was just going to say everybody's a dispensationalist. <laughs> <laughs> sure, there, there's absolutely there's there's different epics in history. Absolutely, okay, different dispensations, no doubt. Now let's ask the big question: Matthew 16. What's the church that Christ is building, and who is okay. he saying that he's going to build it on? Yes, yes, um, that is. That is Old Testament prophetic language. When when you look at uh, the writings of the prophets, especially uh, Jeremiah, you see the metaphor that God is going to destroy. He's going to judge his people, but he will rebuild. He, He will build something new out of the ashes of the old. And there's two metaphors. There's a metaphor of a building and there's a metaphor of a field. 
He's going to build a new building. He's going to plant a new field. But it was the same people. It was the same covenant people. And so we have to look at Matthew 16 within the context of the prophetic language of, uh, especially of Jeremiah. So when Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church, that's just like Jeremiah, or God speaking through Jeremiah, I'm going to build something new. Okay. Um, now, when he says, upon this rock, who's that rock? That's a great question. Well, I'm not Roman Catholic, so I don't say it's Peter. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it's it's a metaphor, and metaphors are flexible, and they're used in different ways at different times, uh, in different passages. So, for example, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, we find that Jesus is the foundation. Yeah. But in Ephesians chapter 2, we find that the apostles and prophets are the foundation, and Jesus is the cornerstone. Right, right. Uh, so metaphors are, are used in, in flexible ways throughout. They, they weren't trying to be rigid, um, uh, systematic theologians. Uh, I, I, I don't I don't feel like it. So when he says, on this rock, I will build my church, I, I think it was Peter's confession of faith. Um, Peter's confession of faith? Oh, when yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. So I would... And just my take on that, I, I, I won't. There's so much yeah, that you he, can say on it. There's so much time that you can spend on on that particular passage, and I, I think that um, there, there's a time and a place to spend just talking about that. But I would just say that that is kind of what you were you were talking about before. That that's a that's a prophetic ful fulfillment of statements that were um, that were prophesied back in Deuteronomy 32, where Moses says that their rock is not our rock and mm -hmm. it, it speaks with a capital r and this 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 rock in matthew 16 is that same capital r and he's saying that upon this rock i'm going to build my church with a capital c um now now you and i obviously so would have what some, do you think the rock is i think the rock christ. is christ yeah 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 but but of course you have to you have to do a little bit of eisegesis there when you talk about capital letters, because as we all know, they were, uh, they were all either uppercase or lowercase <laughs> in the original manuscript. So, well, so, yeah. So, um, I, but, but, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just leave that there. So, so that's fine. Go ahead, think it through. I'm, I'm enjoying you would, this very much. But you would say it's Christ too, wouldn't you? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, First Corinthians three. Uh, for no other foundation can anyone lay than than Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is very clear on that. Yeah. Um. So th that's where I would say that there is a distinction between Israel and the church. So, and and I don't I don't see that that you would draw a distinction there. I think that's probably part of a systematic that's brought into that. But what would your take be on that? Do you think that Israel is the church? I think that um, I think that Israel was saved in the first century. I think what we call the church was was originally Israel, the the remnant. The we get into the remnant theology here. That uh, li like Paul says in Romans nine six, they are not all Israel who say they are Israel. Yeah. I Israel 
became those who believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Those were, that was the true Israel. Uh, and they, they were the remnant and they were the fulfillment of the prophecy. Which, and so uh, the kingdom, uh, the, the promise of the spirit came to those Jews who believed in Jesus as Messiah. And then Gen and the, the promise of the Old Testament is that Gentiles would come in to Israel. And that is what Paul and the other apostles are doing, especially Paul. They see themselves as ministers. I said this once before, and somebody just shook his head and laughed at me. They see themselves as, and go ahead if you want to, that's fine. <laughs> but they see themselves as ministers of Israel, functioning as priests. And Paul even uses that terminology explicitly in Romans 15. He was a priest of Israel, bringing salvation to the remnant, and then through that remnant, going out and gathering in the Gentiles into the commonwealth of Israel. So that Israel becomes Jews who believe in the Messiah and Gentiles who believe in the Messiah. That's what was happening in the first century. Um, so when we, when you... And it became known as the church, the called out assembly of God. See, and I would draw a distinction between Israel and the church, and I think that uh, if you were to talk to Michael Brown, he would draw a distinction between Israel and the church as well. And the way that he puts it is he says, uh, he says okay, so, so if, if we are Israel today as the church, then that means that we have the promises of the Old Testament Israel for the church. Now, what do you yeah. do with that? Okay, well, what Michael Brown has... has... Uh, failed to see uh, in that point is this, that the plan of God, and, and here we get into a different form of dispensationalism. <laughs> what, uh, the, okay. The story of God has, uh, we look upon it as, we look upon the biblical narrative as a story with ch with chapters in it. And so chapter one is creation, chapter two is the catastrophe, uh, the, the fall of man. Chapter three is the covenants. That begins in, in Genesis 12 and goes through Malachi. And so the covenants were given, and that's chapter three of the story. Chapter four of the story is Christ. And chapter five of the story is when the message goes out to all the nations of the world. We are now living in chapter five. And and so that argument is telling us, well, we get to go back to chapter three, but we're past chapter three now. We can, we, can, we can look at the content of chapter three in the story, and we can learn from it, we can learn principles from it, but we're not called to live within the confines of that uh, paradigm anymore. The story has moved on. We're in a different, a, a different epic now. Yeah. Um, so when you when you talk about the covenants, and this is what this there's so many different ways when you talk about studying the Bible, you, you yeah. can study the Bible through through types, through figures, through through shadows, through examples, through ensamples, through dispensationalism, and then you've got covenants, the covenant, the study of the covenants through the Bible and what God is doing through through the different covenants of the Bible. Um, and, and some people call it covenant theology. Some people say if you're if you're a covenant theologian or you, you adhere to covenant theology that you also would have to, by necessity, adhere to replacement theology. 
Um, but what, my question to you would be, um, in regard to the, the covenant, would you take the position that the new covenant that is promised to the nation of Israel with the restoration of the nation of Israel um, as, as how, would I, how would I say that? The restoration of the nation of Israel. I think it's in Hebrews 8. Um, how, how would you deal with that? Is that yes. something that is, you would say is a reference to us? Absolutely. Okay, short answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not running for political office, so I'm, I can give a short answer. <laughs> oh, by the way, so, <laughs> it's, did you have a chance? I don't know. That's a whole other conversation. I was watching the hearings, and there's so many of those, those answers um, that, that those, the, the two, the ambassador and the, I can't remember the other guy's last name, Kent or something. A lot of the answers were, you know what? That's your job. That's not mine. So, um, yeah. and I'm fine with that. There's so many questions that you get about the Bible. That's like, you know what? That's God's job. It's not mine to figure that one out. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, to, to get to elaborate on that uh, a little bit more, I, I think it's very clear that the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31 was established by the death and resurrection of Christ. And uh, and it has been established. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, I think, is there in black and white. There's, there's no other way to take it, that, the, that we are living in the era of the new covenant. And so the beauty of the gospel, and this kind of gets into another point here, uh, the beauty of the gospel is that we Gentiles get the blessings of the new covenant without having to become Jews. We're on yeah. equal status. We're on equal footing with Jews in the new covenant and within the commonwealth of Israel. See, and, and, and I love that so much. Um, and, and I think that's a good place to kind of transition from this particular um, aspect of our conversation to the next aspect, which is... Um, We've talked about when the church would have started. We've we've talked about some of the dis different distinctions. We've talked about covenant theology, replacement theology, dispensation, a lot of those things. But um, when it comes to Galatians two seven, and yeah. uh, and and some of the different gospels, um, there there are some people that would say the apostles were preaching a different gospel than what Paul was preaching. They were preaching a gospel to the circumcision. Paul was preaching a different gospel to the Gentiles. Where would you go in, the, in a conversation with someone who would take that particular position? Well, I, I would go right to the verses that they read, which are Galatians 2, 7, and 8. Yeah. I, I think those are the passages that they refer to. And I was looking at it again this evening before our conversation I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, and Paul says, um, but, but on the contrary, um, let me start in verse 5. Okay. But we do not yield in subjection to them for even an hour. That actually was circumcision. Uh, uh, so that the truth of the gospel, notice the, the, the definiteness of it there, the gospel. See, now not, I know why you went back to to verse 5 and didn't just start in verse 7. I interrupted you're, you. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're wondering why? No, I said I, now I, I understand why you wanted to start in verse 5. Yes. 
Well, it, it, well, as I started to read, my eye just caught the word gospel in verse 5. So I thought, you know, I better back up and read it right now. <laughs> it was just a, 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 an impromptu thing in the moment. So that, so that the, but that's a powerful phrase, the truth yeah. of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who are of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, to the Jews, for he who worked for Peter in his apostleship, to the Jews, worked for me, to the Gentiles, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And hmm. then he, he just goes on there. So, so you know, uh, Joshua, as I, as I looked at this early this evening, I was thinking, how can you even get that there are different Gospels from this passage? Well, um, so let me, I'll, I'll give a brief explanation on that and okay. then give kind of a, a counter to it. The, the explanation on it would be, um, you read from the NASB, the King James says that it's not a gospel to the uncircumcision or a gospel to the circumcision, but a gospel of uncircumcision versus a gospel of circumcision. So they're saying there's a distinction there between those two gospels. Um, but but I, I, what I would point out is what you just read there in verse 9, where he says, And, James, uh, and when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be per, uh, pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, and then you get Barnabas and, and, and so on. But you've got the apostles who are listed right there who are ministering with Paul. If they're ministering with Paul and Paul is preaching a different gospel than what they are, that would seem to me a pretty difficult task to be preaching and ministering uh, to, to two different people groups and preaching two different gospels. That would seem to be a pretty strong conflict there. Yes. I th Joshua, I think that's a, that's a really good point. You have a you have a very good point there. Um, so I, I I don't see here that that Paul is, is uh, advocate uh, that that the passage is talking about different gospels. I think it's just talking about taking the one gospel to different audiences. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, and and so even when we look at the four gospels, we it, it's it's the same story. It's the same Christ, the same right. ministry, the same death, the same resurrection, but but they uh, slanted in different ways. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Uh, John is writing within a Hellenistic mil milieu, and so they're they're not giving different accounts. It's it's the one account, the one of gospel. They're just slanting in a different ways for different audience. And uh, Paul said the same thing. He said to the Jews, "I'm I'm a Jew. To those under the law, I'm under the law. Yeah. To those without a law." I'm not under the law, I, I, not without the law of Christ, but they just uh, adapted in the, the one message in different ways for different audiences. And that's really all that's going on here. Yeah. Well, and I, I would totally agree with you. If it, and if, if that's not what was going on, I think that that would, uh, that, I mean, gosh, because just think of it. God would have had to establish two separate gospels going to two different people groups that were being preached at the same time and, and then had Paul write, that there, that anyone who's preaching another gospel than what he was preaching should be anathema. Like, let him be cursed. Well, that's that's, right. that's a pretty strong statement to, to actually take yeah. the position. 
this is what God has has called these two different people groups to go toward go to and and two different gospels to preach and then you're calling one of them cursed like i just that i I don't get it but anyway yeah another thing that people that's a very good point that's a very good point you made and um and another thing that that people who are advocating these different gospels you know these different genuine gospels what they're forgetting is that even though paul um in this passage talked about his ministry to the Gentiles, we got to remember that he went everywhere he went, he went to the Jew first. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was preaching to Israel. He was preaching to the Jewish people. So did so he have to switch his gospel up? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what we see in the book of Acts is that this message that he was preaching in the synagogues, the God fearers, as they're called, the the uh, converts to Judaism, th- they did not go all the way. They were not circumcised, but they attached themselves to the synagogue, and they were allowed to worship in the synagogue. The Gentiles there, they they were saved. They were hearing the gospel that Paul was preaching to the Jews, right? And yeah, they were right. getting saved by it. That's true. That's a great yeah. point. Now let's uh, let's talk about what the apostles were teaching, um, and and let and specifically. When when you hear when you hear some people who would take a hard stance that the apostles are teaching something separate than what Paul Paul was teaching, um, most most typically most commonly you're going to hear the example used of the book of James, and uh, this would be in what I would absolutely classify as either a hyper or uh, ultra dispensationalist group who would say when James is speaking about the relationship of faith and works. Um, these this, these two particular uh, groups of dispensationalists would say James is teaching um, works, salvation mixed with grace in the Old Testament, and then he's 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 preaching this same message again in the tribulation period for Jews as well. Yeah, excuse, uh, excuse me, just a second. yeah, yeah. Could you drink of water, please? Yeah, just just you won't be seen. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I was I was asking my wife to get me a drink of water. <laughs> We've all. been going for an hour already. It seems like fifteen minutes. I I know. Would you just back up like two sentences? Yeah. You're talking about James. I'm very sorry to interrupt. Oh, you're fine. Um. So James James um the, these these two particular camps of of dispensationalists would would take the position. And for those of you who have never heard this before, believe believe me, there are people who believe this. Um. That, that James is, is one, preaching a historical account of the salvation that Abraham had, which is a combination of faith and works. They would say, well, Abraham was, was justified and made righteous when he believed in Genesis chapter 12 or 13. And uh, he, was, he wasn't justified, however, until he offered Isaac on the altar, which would be his works. So they would, they would show a distinction between... Um, between righteousness and justification, which would be a distinction between being declared righteous and then and, and works, so grace plus works. But they would also take this and say, this is also a prophetic passage for tribulation Jews when the church is called out and raptured and then the Jews are in the great tribulation period and it's back to a system of grace and works. And that's why you see Holy the distinction. Cow. So, Holy cow. Holy <laughs> cow. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I just hear things like that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Yes. But in, 
Go ahead. <laughs> so was James teaching, is that what James is teaching or is James actually teaching the same thing Paul is teaching when it comes to the relationship of works with faith? I think he was teaching the same thing as Paul was teaching. Salvation has never been by faith and works. Salvation has always only been by faith. Yes. It was by faith in the Old Testament, which is Paul's argument in the book of Romans. Yep. Uh, Paul goes back to the example of Abraham. He does, he does not say in Romans chapter 4, let's look now at the example of Abraham, our forefather. That we, we will now see that Abraham was saved by faith and works. He says Abraham was saved by faith. Yeah. Same with, same with David. Yeah. Now, what would your answer be to someone who would say he was, he was saved by faith in Genesis 13, but he wasn't justified until Genesis 15 when he offered Isaac um, on the altar, which would be his works? Uh, justified by faith in chapter 15 and and then in chapter 22 justified by by works well justified by works in 15 declared righteous in 13 declared righteous yeah i um i don't know what i would say i might just okay. i might just throw my hands and you know <laughs> As it should be. in exasperation okay. in frustration and say why am I even talking to, to you about this? This is ridiculous. Okay, now, is this a consistent message with Sorry. Paul? Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I mean, some things, some, some, but sometimes I, I just find myself having conversations with guys like that. Um, and, yeah. and you know, but now let me ask you this. Is this consistent with what Paul taught in the relationship of faith and works? And in James 2, uh, verse 20, where he says, but will you, O man, O vain man, um, or will, what does it say? But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And then he says in verse 22, see, see how faith wrought with his works and by works was his faith made perfect. Um, how would you, how would you, oh wait, no, that's it in verse 22. You see then yeah. that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Because in verse 23, that's where he says, Abraham believed God, it was imputed him right for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So do you see yeah. that as being consistent with what Paul taught when it comes to faith and works? I, I do see it as consistent. I, I think Paul made similar statements. Romans chapter 2, he made similar statements uh about those it's not those who just talk about the law but those who do the law yeah. Yeah. not not that he was saying you're justified by doing it and he yeah. because he would later say that no man could be justified, justified by, by it yeah but that but those things are are evidence right. that you have received truth and you're responding to the truth yeah we we have made um, too much of a distinction between what we express with our mouth and what we do with our body. Yeah. And, and, and the words we say can be evidence of our faith or our unbelief, and the works that we do can be evidence of our faith and unbelief. Yeah. And, um, and, and so we, we just have driven too, sharp, uh, too wide of a wedge between our words and between our actions. You know, think of John the Baptist, uh, repent and bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance. And uh, Jesus said similar things, and Paul said similar things throughout his epistles. Uh, James is just the most explicit in it. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, now, let's transition from this. I, I don't know. You let me know. Do you want to go to the ordinances, or do you want to address uh, kind of what Jesus was teaching when it comes to salvation? Because some people would even say in, in, in some dispensational camps that if you just read the red letters of Christ and the Gospels, that you cannot be saved because he doesn't preach the same gospel as what Paul, as what Paul was preaching. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that's too bad that people would say that. I, I think, uh, let's talk, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the red letter edition of the Bible. Yes. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about the, the words that, that Jesus said. And I think when, when we prepare for this a little bit, we were talking about the story of the rich young ruler. Yes, yes. And, so uh, what was, uh, let, me, let me close the store right here. Okay. So what was, um, what was going on there? I, I think what is so helpful is to understand the historical context. See, and this is why uh, I wanted to have, have, have you on to have this conversation, um, because you're passionate about it. And I think that, I think that you're, the, you're the right guy for the job. To have this conversation. Okay. So, anyways, okay. the historical context. Uh, All right. Where were we? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, we have to realize that when Christ comes to the Jewish people, he's to, he's coming to a people who are already in a covenant relationship with God. They are they are in a covenant relationship with God by virtue of their circumcision, uh, and that brought them into the covenant and under the yoke of the law. And so they already are in a covenant relationship with God. Now, now there was a problem. So that's the first point. The, the second point is this. There, there was a problem in the first century, in, in the centuries prior to it. And, and that is that um, when this small group of Jews returned from the Babylonian exile, they came to the land, they rebuilt the temple, a poor replica of Solomon's temple, but they knew that the promises of the prophets had not yet been fulfilled. So even though some of the Jews were back in the land, they still considered themselves to be in exile. The exile was not over. Yeah. And that is a point that many people miss. And so the question became this. When is God going to come back to us? When are the promises going to be fulfilled? And how will they be fulfilled? And so there were different camps within Israel. There were some who were very deterministic. We might call them proto-Calvinists to inject another conversation into this and inject a little humor into it. I would love to be part of a, of a podcast on Calvinism, by the way. Hey, Calvinism if you and, ever want to do that. Uh, the doctrine yeah, the doctrine of what? Uh, the doctrine of election. I would you be think down I'm passionate for that. About this. Wait, 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 till I start, wait till I start talking about the doctrine of election. Then I'll really get passionate. So, um, but anyway. <laughs> I don't know if you'd want to do that with me or not, because I'm not a Calvinist. And I, I think that we've got some pretty strong distinctions, especially when it comes to election. But anyways, Neither I don't. Neither am I. You what? Neither am I. Yes. I don't believe in. I don't believe in unconditional election. Oh, okay. So, but I would love to talk about it sometime. So, okay. so where was I? So I was. Now I you was got before, me sidetracked. <laughs> you know, I, I, is, I did. I, I did get. I got myself sidetracked here. So, um, but the point. Let's see. 
So huh. the exile was not over. Even though Jews were back in the land, even though they had the temple, they were offering the sacrifices, they did not believe the exile was over. God had not returned to them. The Messiah had not come. They, they did not believe that the great forgiveness of sins had been offered, that the new covenant had been instituted. They were still waiting for the completion of their story uh, to, to take place. And so Jews were divided into different camps on how the story would be completed how the exile would end. So there were some who were deterministic. That's where I got off. There were some who were deterministic who, who said, you know, we just have to wait for God to act. And there were some who were proactive. They were saying, no, we have to act. We have to go forward with this. And we have to do things. And so, and so uh, uh, those who were more proactive, they were saying that and that would be the Pharisees prominently, uh, and they were saying, "Okay, we have to take the law of Moses, and we have to make it applicable to the times in which we live, and we have to be very uh, diligent and very specific on the application of the law. And if we uh, are faithful to the law that God has graciously given to us, then the king, then the kingdom of God will come." And so that's what was going on in the first century. They were not trying to justify themselves to go to heaven when they die. Yes, thank you for that. Yeah. That wasn't the conversation at all. That is a 16th century conversation. Yeah. Now, I think uh, that um, to, to take it to the, to the next level, I, I, I think that even God responded to uh, those who, who were looking at the ceremonial law as 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 something of necessity that God took pleasure in because in in Isaiah chapter 1 he says that he doesn't take pleasure in the sacrifices because the heart wasn't right and yeah. and and I think that's something to really take into consideration that it wasn't just it, it it wasn't the works of the law that God was looking at to see somebody's merit for salvation it was the heart attitude behind what was happening is is even better a picture for what was coming through the sacrifice of Christ and what your heart attitude is in coming to Christ and all of, all of those great pictures that you have through the Old Testament uh, um, types of, of, of the sacrifices with the high priest and all of that. It's just a beautiful picture, but I, I think that's what, what God is looking at, especially in comparison to what you're talking about here with the historical context to kind of set the groundwork for what we're looking at in Matthew 19 with the rich young ruler. So um, where do you want to go from there in that story? Well, so the rich young ruler comes and he asks a question that many people were asking in that day. What do, how, how do I in, inherit eternal life? But when we hear those words eternal life, we must not hear it in the 21st century. We must hear it in the first century. And another way of saying it is, is what must I do to enter the kingdom when the kingdom of God comes? How do I show my loyalty to the God of Israel? And so Jesus says, well, what did God say? How, how do you show your loyalty? And, and he says, well, you know, you, you keep the commandments. And he said, that, that's right. Do that and you'll live. Yeah. You, show your, you show your loyalty. You show that you do have faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
by being faithful to the covenants. Not that being not that that faithfulness saved you, which is why they had sacrifices for their sins. But that's just show. That's how you showed. That was your that was your badge. Yeah. That's how you showed that you were part of the covenant people, and that's what the conversation was about. They weren't talking about justification by by works right. at all, and it, and and so that was the first entry conversation that, that was going on. Now let me get your take on this. I know that we're getting kind of laid in into it, um, but when when Jesus when Jesus answers him and he says, you know, keep the commandments and he says, well, I've kept them all since I was a youth. What am I lacking? You know, and Jesus says, well, if you're perfect, now go and sell all that you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Um, I, I think that to me, I see, I, t I see two kind, a kind of a two-step process here that the guy's asking what he can do to, to get eternal life. And Jesus is like, well, if you want to have it, Here's what you got to do. You got to you got to keep all the commandments. And he says, "Okay, well, I've done that." So Jesus says, I, "I obviously Jesus knows that's impossible. You haven't kept all of the commandments. Everyone has broken a commandment." But mm. but it when it comes down to it, he says, "Okay, you think you've done that. Well, let's take it a step further. Here's something that you can't do." And this is a hard attitude issue because it goes right back to the heart issue with the rich young ruler where his heart is that his heart was in his own personal treasure. To give his money away, give all of all that he had away, go feed the poor, and then come and follow Christ. So give everything up that you've gotten, come and follow me. It he couldn't let that go, and I think at the end of the day, it 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 comes down to um, one: you're not going to earn your way to heaven, even if you even if you think you can keep all the commandments, because you haven't. And at, at the end of the day, if you're looking to earn your way, there's something that God is going to require that you cannot do. And at the end, when it comes down to it, you've got to put your faith and your trust in the one who can. And uh, ultimately, it, it draws the conversation back to Christ to fulfill what we, we couldn't do. But I don't know, what, what would your take on that be? It's a little bit different than kind of going to the first century. Um, I, I, think, I think you're interpreting it as a good 21st century Protestant. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 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 That's kind a of a good, backhanded compliment, Jonathan. Rather, rather than a good first century follower of Jesus. <laughs> okay. uh, and and not that I disagree with you, and, and not that those thoughts are wrong. Those, those thoughts are certainly accurate, and, though, and they are certainly correct. But the issue in the first century was, are you loyal to the God of Israel or yeah. not? That's good. That that was the issue, and, and how do you show it? And this man was not loyal to the God of Israel. Yeah. He he pretended to be. He had this outward show of some of the commandments. And his God was mammon. Yeah. His God was money. His God was the family inheritance. His God was the family. Um, it, it's very possible that he had just received this inheritance, mm. uh, and and so uh, so Jesus pinpoints. What the real issue is, what the real issue was at that time. Who is your God? Yeah, that's good. Well, that is it the God a little bit Isaac and Jacob, or is it something else? And for him, it was something else. What's also interesting, Joshua, is that when we look at the Gospels, how many other people did Jesus say this to? He he, he did say it to others. He, sometimes he said it to multitudes. Unless you yeah. hate your father and mother and, and, and this and that, and give up everything and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But he didn't say that to uh, Mary and Martha, or Lazarus, uh, or to uh, Zacchaeus, 
many, many people he did not say that to. He was always, uh, he didn't say that to the woman at the well. He was always pinpointing the heart issue. Who is God? Let me ask you this question. Can you be a son and not be a disciple? Can you be a son of God and not be a disciple? Yeah. That's a great question. I don't know how to answer that. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. I'll, I'll be a good Jewish rabbi. What do you think? Well, I'll answer a question with a question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to defer that one and come back at some point. I'm still yeah, working that one out. I'd have to think about it and, and try to, you, you know, sometimes questions like that, they're, they're stated without context. Right. And and it's very important to get ourselves into a context where we can think about it more accurately. So I, I would I would let's punt on that. One. Okay. All right. Now we're at an hour and twenty minutes. Do you want to try to get into um, a conversation about ordinances, or do you want to just uh, call it a night? I'll leave it up to you. I think. Um, I'm about ready to call it a yeah. night. I don't. I don't have that much to say about the ordinances anyway. Okay. I believe in baptism and the Lord's Supper. So, okay. <laughs> but yep. uh, maybe we can do that another time, or maybe you can have somebody else on. But I would love to come back and talk about um, the doctrine of election. I would like to you see. You've got me interested now. You said you're not a Calvinist. Correct. What I used we, to be. See, because I. And what I was reading, I, I, I was like, "Gosh, that you're a Calvinist," but what were you reading? <laughs> I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember. Um, maybe it wasn't you. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, let's do that. Why don't we? Why don't we uh, call it a night tonight? We'll come back and have, and uh, have a conversation about election. Um, I, I would love to. I'd love to do that sometime. But it. If you used to be a Calvinist, you're not a Calvinist. Can you kind of give us a, a taste of, of what the conversation would look like? Yeah. Yes. So I, I was raised in a small, independent, fundamentalist Baptist churches. Whosoever will may come. Uh, pretty much Arminian. Then when I went to high school, uh, it was a Christian high school, and it was connected to a Bible church. Where it was doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And it was very good. It changed my life. And the pastor uh, was a Calvinist. And he was teaching through Romans. And so that's when I had my conversion to Calvinism. Oh, boy. Romans 9 and, and things like that. So uh, so from about the age of 15 or 16 until the age of 22, I was, I was a Calvinist. But as I read Scripture and as I gained the overarching narrative of Scripture, I began to see that unconditional election was just kind of— it was kind of like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Hey, you know, I, that's Leighton Flowers says the exact same thing. But how about that? Well, I feel honored that I would have a similar thought to Leighton Flowers. <laughs> uh, so it, it just did not fit, and so I began to see election from a different perspective, and. Um, I'll leave my teaser there, and we'll talk about it another time. Okay, that's great. Uh, hey, yeah. um, I do want to uh, say as we wrap this up, we've 
we, we've had some people that have messaged in um, that are watching in Zambia. We've got people that are watching in Australia and Africa and Canada. Just for whatever reason, God has decided to kind of use this podcast. And um, I, it's, it's, it's not much to me, um, but it's, it's huge in what God is doing, I think, to get the message out there. And I think tonight um, is, is a really important topic. We've covered a lot of different bases um, in a lot of different categories, a lot of different systematic things. But to kind of get around all the convoluted conversation and just kind of break it all down. Um, for, for those of you who may be watching and uh, have not heard a clear presentation of the gospel, I'd like to give you, Jonathan, if you would, just kind of give us the last word and leave us with, with what a good, clear presentation of the gospel is for someone who, who may not fully understand it, that's battling with uh, Calvinism or Arminianism or all of the different isms, and if you could just kind of break it down for us and we'll wrap it up from there. I, I would like to do two things, Joshua, if that's okay. One, one is I will do that. I, I will give a presentation of the gospel. Uh, but second, um, I would like to emphasize uh, what our priority really needs to be. And I, I love theology. And as I said at the beginning, I, I'm working on a PhD in biblical studies. I, I love theology. I love studying God's word. But I am constrained by the Holy Spirit to make it practical and to have it serve uh, in God's plan to get the gospel out to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Yeah. And it can be so easy to get caught up in um, little side arguments. It, it's, it's okay to, to talk about these things and have discussions, but to get so wrapped up in them that we lose sight of what our mission is. Just today, I was talking to a brother from Pakistan, and um, we were talking about several challenges that that they face. Um, uh, just recently, uh, they were preaching the gospel in a village, and 15 people came to Christ, and they were baptized, and then they went back to that village and were uh, and, I, and I was giving training to them online, but but the people who were translating for me in this village in Pakistan, they had to leave because persecution was coming, wow. and they had to leave. But but some people could not leave because they live in this village. And what happened is that uh, in one family, the husband was beat up and he was thrown into jail on false charges. The wife had to take her two scraggly little goats that gave milk to their family and sell them wow. so she could get her husband out of jail. There's another lady who is, is she's very gaunt. She, she doesn't have enough nourishment. And her buffalo, uh, from which her, her, her female buffalo, from which she got milk to nourish her and her family, and when they would sell extra milk to have a little bit of income, suddenly died. Mm -hmm. And and so now they, they're without, and they're wondering what they're going to do, a buffalo. And um, and then there was another call where in, in a village where these Christians, they work uh, in fields that are owned by Muslims, and, um, and they work for a pittance. But what happened is that a an insect plague, I don't know if it was locusts or whatever, but an insect plague came in and destroyed the crop. Right. And so now these people 
have they don't have work to do and winter is coming and so so they're wondering how they're going to eat if they can have more than one meal a day and then the the wife of a uh, of a pastor was out working in the field picking cotton and she was bitten by a poisonous snake she's okay she made it through and so i was talking to him about all these things <laughs> and um we were we just been commenting how as we're making progress on training these people in these villages with the gospel how all of these things are suddenly happening yeah and so uh and so i i share these stories um with those who are listening as a reminder that while it is important to talk about god's word and to and to get an accurate understanding of it the reason we want an accurate understanding is so that we can more effectively build one another up so that we can be about the mission to which God has called us, which is to get out the gospel to every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Paul laid down his life to get the gospel out as far and as wide as he could. And he said, I don't count my life to be of any value to myself in order that I may fulfill my mission to proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. And and so for everyone who hears this podcast, I hope that God will work in your heart so that as you study God's word, you will do it with this goal in mind to get the gospel out to everyone and you will be connected with people and that's what that's what we are doing with uh, WGS Ministries and so if you would like to get in contact with me and learn more about what I'm doing I I just sent out an email today uh, that talked about some of these needs and uh, how we're trying to supply Um, I said here's I said here's our Thanksgiving shopping list two goats (laughs) a buffalo (laughs) clean water for, for the brothers uh, who, who go into these very desolate areas where if they drink the water in these desolate areas, they'll get sick from it. Yeah. And they live in Pakistan. And so I said, this is our, our Thanksgiving shopping list. We're, we're going to buy a buffalo. We're going to buy two goats. We're going to buy clean water for these people to, to help these people. So if you'd like to join with us in helping in some of these things, uh, Joshua, you can let them know how to get in touch get in touch with me. Absolutely. And so... So, so that's the first thing, just an exhortation that all of us are united. And if you don't get united with me, maybe you have a ministry to, to reach out from your neighborhood to the ends of the earth. And here, you know, you, you mentioned people in Zambia, people in um, uh, Australia, you said, other countries of the world. God has given us an unprecedented opportunity to teach the word of God and to get it out all over the world. Yeah. And so I hope in some way and in some fashion you will do that. And so why do we want to do this? Because as Paul said, and this is how we begin, the good news is the power of God for salvation. And so, brethren, I make known to you the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ died according to the scriptures for our sins. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead, according to the scriptures. So the good news is this. There is one God who has manifested himself very clearly to all creation. He has manifested himself to the whole world. There is one God. He has manifested himself through creation. He has manifested himself in our conscience. He manifested himself through the nation of Israel. But he supremely manifested himself when he took on flesh 
and he became one of us. He identified with us. He lived among us. He showed who he was by his works of power, by his works of compassion. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He raised from the dead. He fed the poor. And above all, he forgave sinful people of their transgressions. Well, people didn't like what he was doing. And so they uh, stalked him and they finally arrested him. And even though he had all authority and he could have stopped it at any moment, he let them do their worst. And so they did their worst to him and they framed him and they put him on a cross and they crucified him and he died on that cross. And they thought that they were finished with this Jesus of Nazareth. They thought that he was a fraud, that he was a blasphemer. But three days later, something happened. Jesus rose from the dead. He was not resuscitated only to die again, but he rose from the dead into his body. Immortality was infused into that body. And he lives today, the same Jesus who lived and breathed and who uh, who ministered to the sick and who had uh, compassion for the poor, that same Jesus is alive today. And he commissioned his followers to go into all the world with this good news. And the good news is this. I have come. The one who was the subject of all prophecy was me. And I have come. I have fulfilled prophecy. And when I died on that cross, it was not an accident. It was not just a tragedy, but it was the greatest thing that happened because I died for your sins. And everything that needed to be done for the forgiveness of your sins was done. Nothing more has to be done. Nothing more could be done. What I did on the cross was sufficient for you to have forgiveness of all of your sins. I made the full payment for it all. And then I rose from the dead. And my resurrection from the dead was proof that I am who I said I was. I really am the Messiah. I really am the Lord of all. And my resurrection proved that what I did on the cross was enough to pay for your sins. And I did that because I love you. And then the gospel is this. 40 days after he rose from the dead, approximately 40 days, he ascended back into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God as the world's true Lord. He is the true Lord of all. He is the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth. And so as the Lord of heaven and earth, he has given us the commission to go and to tell others, turn from your sins and submit your life to the Lord of heaven and earth. And the Lord, the King of all, the Lord of lords and the King of kings will do this for you. When you submit to him, when you stop fighting, when you stop doing your own thing and choosing your own way, the first thing that the king will do for you is to forgive you of all of your sins with love and with compassion. He will embrace you fully into his family as a full member of his family. He will pour his spirit out upon you and then he will say, Follow me and I will show you how to walk with me, how to be my disciple and how to be a witness to the world and to go to others to tell them this good news. And so tonight, if you have never submitted to Jesus as Lord, then I ask you to do that right now, to call upon him and to say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I have gone my own way. 
I've done these terrible immoral things or I've robbed people or or I've just been I've, I've just been committed to a bunch of theology, but I've never really known you. Whatever it is, I've had this as the center of my life. I want you to be the center of my life. You tell him that right now and he will come in and he will be your Lord and your Savior. And then he will give you his, he'll forgive you, he'll give you uh, his spirit and then you can follow him. Amen. Hey, that's great, man. I, I couldn't have put in any better myself, guys. That's uh, that's about as, as pure as you're going to get when it comes to hearing the gospel. And, and I hope that you, um, for those of you who did listen to that presentation of the gospel and actually used that, and you would say that you have just become a Christian, I would encourage you um, to reach out to us. Let us know. You can, you can reach Jonathan at Word of God Speak. Um, I believe that's WGS. Is, what's your website again? I'm sorry. Uh, the website is WGS Ministries, in the plural, dot org. Okay. Uh, the best way to reach me is just through email. It's uh, info, I-N-F-O, info at WGSMinistries.org, or, or me, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at WGSMinistries.org. Perfect. Send me an email, and I'll respond to you. That's good. And if you all have any questions, you can, and you're listening to this on an audio podcast, uh, you can leave us a voicemail with a question or a voicemail with a comment. Uh, the way that you do that is just go into the description of any any episode. It doesn't matter. Just go into the description, and there's a link there that you can leave a voice message, um, or you can go to um, what's my website. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Let me pull this. It's funny when you have to tell it to others because because uh, yeah, we're so used. To see, just so unprofessional. It's anchor.fm <laughs> and uh, just search for Talking Christianity. That'll take you to our site, and then you can leave a voice message. You can you can contribute to the ministry if you wanted to do that. But more importantly, guys, um, we just want to get the gospel out there. We want to have conversations uh, that matter. And again, Jonathan, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being so patient with us and making this and making this happen. So it was great. And I, I can't wait to have you back to talk about election. I, I look forward to it also, Joshua. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's been a great blessing to me. I hope it was a blessing to you and others. Absolutely. Thanks again. We'll, we'll connect soon. So, okay. I look forward to it. God bless you all. Catch you later. Uh, all right, guys, I'm going to cut to our closing scene here and uh, let you know what's coming up around the corner. On the seventeenth, we have got a, uh, a kind of it's it's just a dialogue. Uh, I can't talk. I'm getting tired. It, it's going to be a dialogue with James Snap Jr. He holds a position that's called uh, equitable eclecticism, which just which simply means that uh, when you're looking in the textual critical field of the study of the scriptures, that he believes that all all manuscripts are of equal value. And uh, we're going to discuss some of the differences between his, his view on Scripture when it comes to the modern critical text, or the Textus Receptus, or a Byzantine majority platform. And uh, we're even going to look at some of the textual variants, like uh, the ending of Mark. We're going to look at 1 John 5, 7, uh, Romans 8. We're just going to look at a few of these different things, but he's written a lot about it. He's got a blog, he's got a website, he has so many different things that he does in the field. He's, he's working on um, another Greek testament. Um, I can't remember who it's with, but um, he'll, he'll give us that information. It'll be a good conversation. So that's November 17th. 
uh, make sure you tune in for that. And um, it's been fun tonight, guys. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing better than just having a conversation about the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what we did. we set out to do tonight. I think that's what we did. And uh, that was fun. I love talking to Jonathan. That was the first time that we've we've done this. And hopefully we'll be able to do it again. So thank you guys. God bless and have a good night.